Are you ready to give your score for visuals? Give me a second. I'm taking off my socks. I'll cut this out. Ooh. Why stop there? I'll take off my shoes also. (laughs) (laughs) You'll take off your socks before your shoes? They're unique socks. Welcome to the Interstate Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, a.k.a. K-Slugs. My name is Peter, a.k.a. Deal for Real. And I'm also your host. Well, welcome, everyone, to the season finale of season four of the Interstate Gamers Podcast. I don't know what episode it is, but it's probably like 50-something. But man, it's been a long journey, P-Boy. It's been a long journey. This has been quite the season for obvious reasons. Of course, a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, but also like we've we've played some pretty pretty big games this season. But it's been fun, and uh, this this episode we've got obviously a big special one here. Uh, this game review has been a long time coming. Kevin, you oftentimes kind of prompt me to tell you what game we're going to play, but I'm not I'm not going to wait for you this time. I'm just going to get right into <laughs> it. Uh, this time we're reviewing none other than the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. we're finally reviewing this game. You know, like back when we first started this podcast, um, I would say that this game was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to start something like this. I always thought to myself, man, I have all these opinions on all of these video games and like I wish there was some way that I could like compare them all together and just like sit down and talk to the like talk about them in depth because like I would have all these I would say some of them would be challenging views and things like that. And uh, Breath of the Wild was one of these games where I'd be like, okay, I, I don't want to give away too much, but I was like, I have these criticisms, and I like, I know it's a Zelda game, and I know it's like Nintendo, and everybody loves that. And I had a lot of friends who were like really like Nintendo loyalists, and it was just like hard to get my opinion through. So I was like, man, I wish I could just ha- I had a platform that I could just speak about this kind of stuff and like just talk about it the way that I want to talk about it. And I think that was one of the things I was like, man, when we first started this podcast, I was like, man, I can't wait till we get to Breath of the Wild. And I know it took us longer than I guess I really anticipated, but I'm kind of glad that we did because now we have all of these other games under our belt. Yeah. That way we can compare them to the compare this game to those other games. So I'm like super excited that we actually waited to this point to do it. So my plan of delaying forever finally worked <laughs> now things are falling into place that's that's cool i i knew that you weren't like a like blindly following the the batwa hype train as much as some other people were so i'm pretty interested to hear what you have to say i i'm pretty sure that you still enjoy the game a lot based on how we've talked about it and i've certainly enjoyed it too i do have some criticisms as well obviously so when did you uh when did you like play breath of the wild and finish it and all that good stuff uh, that's a good question so a little bit of history. Um, I think Chris, when the Switch first came out, he got Batwa. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> Batwa water. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so you might hear me say that a lot. Um, he got it when the Switch first came out, and I was watching him play it, and we were both kind of like, eh, I don't know about it yet. I don't know how we feel. And then um, I think it was a couple years and then passed, and then I uh, went to my friend Mallory's place and watched her play it. I was like, okay, this game's pretty cool. Like I watched her fight a boss, and it's like okay, that was pretty pretty fun. But I didn't quite know what all the game would entail. But I had criticisms early on then, and then finally, I got a switch. Uh, as you know, if you listened to an earlier episode about uh, Mario Odyssey, um, I got a switch when I got my wisdom teeth pulled out, and uh, <laughs> I needed to make myself feel better. So I did that. Classic story. Yeah, and so I I got Breath of the Wild shortly after, and I started playing it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a, I remember those times. It's when I was living by myself in, um, in my apartment. My furniture was a singular couch, like a love seat couch, a TV, and a TV stand, and that was my living room. Yeah, that was it. And I would play Breath of the Wild like every day after work. That's a little more similar to to my history in some ways than I thought it might have been. 
for me, when I heard all the hype about Batswa back in like March 2017 when it and the Switch first came out, I was thinking, damn, this game has gotten so many rave reviews that I need to play it. And this is going to be the game that finally gets me to get a modern gaming console because I hadn't had <laughs> I hadn't had a modern console since the Wii came out. Right. So I was like, this is going to be the one. Turns out I didn't get a Switch until Smash Ultimate was released, which was like a year and a half after Batwa came out. And then I didn't actually buy Batwa until like the next March. So by that point, it had been two years since Batwa came out. And even then, <laughs> I still didn't get like super duper fully into it, like playing every day until just recently, like a month or two ago. Right. So there's various reasons why like I kind of basically just put it off. But I think the main underlying reason for all of that is I felt like this was a game that I really wanted to sit down and just have a clear mind and just devote like several hours at a time of playing it. And so when I got to the point where I felt like I could do that, I started doing it. And I've been doing that recently. And now I really feel like I've kind of experienced the game the way that I wanted to, the way that I thought it should be personally. And I've been having a lot of fun with it. I feel like I'm at a good point finally where I can like talk about it in detail as we do on the Interstate Gamers podcast. Are you ready to kind of talk about <laughs> the game itself? Let's do it, man. We're building up the hype. Building up the hype. So the general context is, of course, this game is a BFD, a big frickin' deal, as we all know. <laughs> There's like two main differentiators for this game, and I guess this is kind of getting into the gameplay, so we'll just call this the gameplay section right now. <laughs> two big things that make this game distinct from prior Zelda games. Now, the first one is the open world nature. That's a term that obviously gets thrown around a lot in modern gaming, but what it means for Breath of the Wild is that you can go pretty much anywhere whenever you want. Like You can complete the main story elements in whatever order you choose. Uh, the game pretty early on gives you all the tools you need to do most of the exploring you could want to do. So it really does feel pretty free in that sense. Like They just kind of plop you in the world and you can kind of go do whatever. And we'll talk about these things more in detail, obviously, but just for the sake of giving you the context. The second big thing is the survival element, which I was kind of skeptical about before I actually played the game and saw that it was actually pretty simple. It's not like a super hardcore survival game. In Batwa, survival basically means like when you get hurt, you have to eat food to get hearts back. You can't just get hearts from killing enemies like all the other Zelda games. And how do you get food? Well, you can get it by hunting or foraging or cooking. There's harsh environments like deserts and snowy mountains and volcanoes, and you got to like dress up for those. You got to wear armor that'll protect you from those elements. And then your equipment doesn't last forever. Your equipment can break pretty often, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about because that's kind of a controversial point of the game. But basically all these things come together to make a game that feels very different from any Zelda game, at least that I've ever played. And I've played most of the 3D ones. I think the only 3D one I haven't played is Skyward Sword. But all these things came together to make this unique Zelda game that is really unlike anything else in the franchise for many reasons. Right. I think that's kind of the... There's so much to talk about, it's kind of hard to decide yeah. <laughs> where to start. Uh, so now that I think I've set the stage, I'm going to let you get into whatever you want to talk about first. Yeah, so I'll just go ahead and dive right into the gameplay. I would say in most areas of the gameplay, I think the game was done pretty well. Um, I will say that some of the there are some things that frustrate me, um, and and I think it's one of the things you briefly mentioned was the weapon system. And I know some people really like this, um, but I really don't like how fast your weapons break in the game. I feel like it diminishes the value of the weapons, and it kind of ruins the excitement of finding a brand new weapon or finding like a legendary weapon or like it bec it becomes pointless even the master sword to some extent i know that spoiler if you haven't gotten this far you shouldn't be listening to this podcast but yeah um <laughs> the master sword it it even breaks and you have to wait for it to come back it doesn't technically break but the power runs out and so you can't use it and so it's just like man it's like it it discourages you from using those weapons and to me that that's not a good system because it's like when you get a new weapon, you want to use that weapon. But now it's like the weapons are more thrown away. They're more like, oh, you should only use them in this scenario when you really need it. Or and, and it's not like a horrible feature. I just don't think it's better than what was previously implemented of or in like some other games where you'd have like better weapons or more customizable weapons and things like that. I think that is better than 
Um, oh, my weapon broke again. Like you could get a new, brand new weapon and think it's really cool and all this stuff. And if you used it like as your main weapon for about like 10 to 20 minutes, it could be gone. That kind of sucks. Yeah. I think, I think fundamentally it's a good idea, but I think they take it too far in that direction. It, it makes a lot of sense in the early game when you're getting all these like rusty weapons and wooden weapons and things that have been lying around for like the past century or so. Right. But when you're getting like the Royal Guard weapons and things like that, that break really soon. It's like, damn, what, what, what was the level of craftsmanship here in Hyrule that <laughs> these like really epic weapons are breaking? And then the Master Sword too, like I get that they didn't want you to, like the whole point of all of this is they don't want you to become too comfortable with what you have. They want you to always be like on the lookout for new things. And it wasn't like I'm constantly running out of weapons all the time. Like that's never really a fear that I have, but you do start to suffer from like, oh, this weapon is too cool, so I can't use it. You know, like you're waiting for the opportunity and then the opportunity never comes because you're scared it'll break. Right. Which is something that other games have the, the, that same problem with too. So I think that problem could have been mitigated by just increasing the durability of weapons later on in the game. Right. To like make it actually make sense with what the weapon is supposed to be. Early game, I don't really have a problem with it, but later game, it definitely starts to make less and less sense as, as a mechanic. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And uh, maybe even implementing like I fall out and I don't know if Skyrim does this, but you can repair your weapons and I, and maybe Fallout does it too much where it's like way too easy to repair your weapon before breaking it. And even if it breaks, I think you could still repair it. Maybe you can repair your weapon, but it like costs a whole lot to repair your weapon. And like you said, increasing the durability, all of a sudden you've got a better system, like to me in my mind. Yeah. Um, talking about some things that the game did do well in terms of gameplay. Um, I think this goes without saying, like the parachuting around everywhere and like climbing on things. I mean, oh my goodness, that's so much fun. And yeah, I didn't even think that I wanted that in a Zelda game, but now I definitely know that I do because it's just, <laughs> it makes, it makes maneuvering around the environment so much fun. And you're just, I think if it didn't have that, the game would be a little bit more boring than it is for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I find that it works. Like mechanically speaking, it works really well almost all of the time too. Like there, what I mean by that is there are a few instances where maybe like Link has a little bit of trouble climbing over a particular piece of geometry because of the way that geometry aligns with the other geometry. But that was such a rare experience for me that like I can easily say that 99% of the time, the whole interaction between walking and the way that the environment is actually built, it works really well. Right, which I was pleased with because this is the first time that a Zelda game has any of that. So I think it was, like, I think it's valid to point out that they they could have implemented it a lot worse than they did. But it seems like they quality tested everything pretty well as far as that goes. So I haven't run into anything where like it feels broken. For sure, I feel like the combat system was really good. the The movement when you're you know fighting things and really just moving in general felt so free and limitless. Um, and there's even a really cool countering system that they have with the combat. So yeah, where it like slows down time and you get to like beat up on them if you time something right. And it's not necessarily easy to, uh, get into that counter state. So I, I think they did a really good job balancing that. I agree. Combat's really fun for all those reasons. And just for the sheer amount of ways that you can mess with your opponents. <laughs> um, yeah. there, there's a great video by Video Game Donkey, who I'm a big fan of. And uh, his video, a decent part of it, is showing off the various ways that you can fight enemies, some of which I hadn't even thought of doing in like 100 plus hours of playing the game. So I think that goes to show that there's really a wealth of ways that you can use your environments, not just your weapons. And a lot of that comes from the the Sheikah Slate, which we'll get into into a little bit here. But like, you don't have to fight with just weapons. You can fight with rocks. You can fight using magnets to drop metallic things onto enemies. Like There really is a lot of stuff you can do. And my only problem, though, is that there's a pretty limited number of enemy types in this game. Probably my biggest criticism in the gameplay is that like throughout most of the game, you'll fight the Bokoblins and the Moblins and the Lazalfos. And they're, I think they're really well-designed enemies, don't get me wrong. But what I'm kind of missing is like there's not really enemies that are specific to distinct environments outside of some mini-bosses here and there. I'm thinking, for example, in Ocarina of Time, like when you're in the mountains, you see tech tykes. And when you're in the forest, you see the Deku Babas and things like that. Like those environment specific enemies are kind of missing in this game, which I think is a shame, but I think that would also be a pretty easy thing to fix in the sequel. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point that I didn't even realize. And I think that's something that could also be said for content. But in, in terms of gameplay too, it makes it feel a little bit less, there's a little less variety of what you're encountering. I think that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. I'm full of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few more criticisms, but this one I think we might all be able to relate to. So please either make it rain less or don't let me slip while it's raining. Yeah. Because both of those things combined, like I hate it when it rains. And on top of that, getting struck by like the lightning, like where it strikes your metallic weapons, it's like most of your weapons are metallic. And so you end up, there's, it's pretty much just a situation when it rains, you sit there and you have to wait for the rain to end because you could be in an area for a particular reason. So you don't necessarily want to warp away. So you just have to sit there, wait for the rain to end. And I kid you not, like it could be 30 seconds to a minute later, it starts raining again. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, seriously? (laughs) You've got to be joking me. I've had that happen so many times that I don't know how they haven't patched something for that (laughs) already. Yeah, that's another thing, like the weapon durability, where I get what they were going for, but the implementation maybe went too far. I, I think that, I think the idea of like slipping on the rain or of slipping when it rains makes a lot of sense. But I think that it would be great if like the climbing gear that you find throughout the game would prevent you from slipping on right. wet surfaces or at least make it happen less frequently. I did kind of find a way around this recently where uh, I, I've maxed out my stamina wheel, which is something else we have to mention. Like a lot of, you know, climbing and running and jumping, all that uses stamina, which you can get more of throughout the game. Right. And once you have enough stamina, and it especially helps if you wear the climbing gear like I do, you can actually kind of beat the rain system because you can climb up like for a few seconds and then jump. Like you do the jumping climb. Yeah. And as soon as you do the jumping climb, you'll slip back automatically. But you can kind of space it out to where you are actually gaining altitude. So if you have enough stamina, you can actually beat the rain. I've done that, but it's still, it's just annoying to deal with, especially if you're climbing something big. I mean, I think like the rain and the stamina system they really are a manifestation of the game's desire to make you feel a little bit restricted, like in a way that's approaching realism, which I can appreciate. But the fact of the matter is like when it, when it's done to this extent, it can be frustrating, like beyond just the realism of it. Like we, we play video games so that we can do things that aren't realistic. right? Exactly. So I think it's kind of a personal thing, but overall I agree with you. I'm pretty happy with the balance they struck, but I definitely think it could have been better. Right, yeah, I agree with that statement. I did write some thoughts on stamina and how it just kind of made things unnecessarily difficult to just run around, attack, swim, climb, um, things like that. And I know that there are some things to alleviate that, but um, most of it just felt like a arbitrary difficulty. Like they they put it in there so that it makes the game more difficult, but really all it does is just keeps you from doing things rather than making some thing hard to accomplish if that makes sense yeah swimming in particular is like totally unviable at the beginning of the game yeah like i found myself just always avoiding water and and it it took me a while to get to the point where i had enough stamina and i also had swim boosting equipment to where i could actually feel like i could go swimming and you don't always have to swim to cross bodies of water like the game i mean that's kind of one of the point of all of these environment and stamina limitations is to encourage you to like find other ways to get where you're going which I appreciate, and sometimes I had a lot of fun doing that, but then there's also times where you just want to do the thing the way that you want, which is where this balance comes in that we're talking about. To be fair, though, once I got to that more powerful state where I had more stamina and better equipment and all that stuff, it really did feel like I'd crossed a point where I'd become more powerful as the game went on and that I earned it for myself. Right. So I think that that's, an, that's like a good counter-argument to the argument that we're making, I think. I, I can see it both ways. Like I definitely feel more powerful and more like the hero that the game is telling me I need to be. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that, you know. Yeah. I, I and I, I kinda had that realization too when I was writing this review. I was like, well, at the end of the game it wasn't as big of an issue because I had like three rings of stamina. But it took the from the beginning to the middle of the game and a little bit towards the end, it was just kind of annoying to deal with stamina. And it just felt like it was just slowing me down more than anything. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, and you, you mentioned water. I actually, this is one of my last points. So, and and I wrote like one paragraph full of <laughs> on water, which is kind of funny in my mind. So yeah, the water is kind of disappointing in this game. Of of all the things that you can do in this game, 
like interacting with water is like surprisingly not fun at all. Like I get that there's the, you know, you can go up the waterfall with the Zora armor, but you can't go underwater. The swimming looks weird and awkward. It's just like it, it's just like it's not even fast. It's like Link is just a terrible swimmer. It's like he learned how to jump, but then like swimming got worse or <laughs> something like that. Um, but I guess he's never really been a big swimmer. Now that I think about it, but it would be cool if you could like you know go underwater. Like I think it's a missed opportunity. Honestly, you can go underwater. Yeah. Um, search for things there. You can at least swim a little bit faster and maybe collect things in the water. That would be kind of cool. I know you can collect fish, but you shy away from water, which I guess is like a a cool Spider-Man tactic. But uh, <laughs> water is not that fun. You just frog swim everywhere, and it takes forever. Yeah, I guess you could say that your interaction with water throughout this game is pretty shallow. <laughs> 7.8 out of 10, too. Yeah, actually, that was something I was wondering when I was first playing the game. Oh, I, there's no diving feature. Am I ever going to get that? Yeah. And then I got the Zora armor, and you don't get the diving feature. You just get a waterfall climbing feature, which is really cool and really helpful. But I wonder if their lack of the lack of depth to the water in this game was really just like, too much for them to handle on this first try at this game. Yeah. I wonder if they were so focused on all the land and the landscapes, which are all like really impressive and really fun to traverse as we've talked about. But I'm, I'm hoping again, that this is kind of a thing that they can implement in Batwa too. Yeah, I agree. I, and I honestly, I think it's a really like I'm reaching at straws here to complain about <laughs> <laughs> how, how I didn't like the water, but uh, it is a criticism that I have. Cause I'm like, It'd be cool if I could do more with this because there's a lot of water in the game. And so, I mean, hey, it'd be a cool feature. So if you're listening, Nintendo devs, go ahead and put that feature in Batwa 2. Yeah. One big thing for gameplay that we need to talk about is the Sheikah Slate, which is basically a smartphone that Link <laughs> gets at the very beginning of the game. And this thing lets you do a lot of stuff. It gives you the map for the game. It allows you to document all of the creatures and materials that you find and helps you search for them later. It gives you these powers called runes that are kind of given to you in the tutorial of the game that allow you to control magnetism and freeze objects in time and create bombs. You can create as many bombs as you want, which is pretty awesome for a Zelda game and allows you to create these pillars of ice that come from water so that you can climb on them and get to where you need to go. And all these various things are used really well throughout the game especially in the dungeons and the shrines to make you think about your tools and how you can cross this barrier or hit the switch or do whatever you need to do. I found that to be a really interesting replacement for the old Zelda style where you collect these key items over the course of the game. Because in this game, you don't really do that. They just kind of give you all these runes at the beginning. And once you do that, they just kind of set you off. You escape from the Great Plateau and then you have the whole big world at your disposal. So I think that the way they handled it was kind of necessary for this open world, whatever order you want, video game. But it is interesting. It's like the focus on the Sheikah technology from like 10,000 years ago is kind of wild. You know, like this is all supposed to be high tech stuff that borders on magic. If you start thinking about it too much, it becomes a little unbelievable. <laughs> right. So maybe you're not supposed to. But I really appreciate the, the features that all this stuff adds to the game. Yeah, I do too. I, I really like all of the the different ways to spice up the gameplay and the puzzles that you can utilize with all of the the things with the Sheikah Slate. And it, and there's a lot of quests that you can go on that involve the Sheikah Slate and taking pictures and uh, tagging things that you can find on the map and all this other stuff or like um, the shrine detection or all any other kind of detection stuff that you can do. It's it they they really got creative with that, and I thought it was a really good implementation as well. Sweet. Um, I'm kind of nearing the end of my list. Uh, did you have any more stuff to talk about? Nope. Uh, I just want to say that I know I had some criticisms and it seemed like I was being really nitpicky, but I am because there's some things I am frustrated with, but overall I can't deny it. This game was really, really fun and I thought it was done really, really well in terms of gameplay. I agree. Before we move on, I want to make my last point, which is very short, which is that the difficulty of this game is pretty interesting. There's a lot of ways that you can make the game easier by making like elixirs that grant you special abilities or cooking dishes that do the same thing, uh, upgrading your armor, all these things. All these things take time and they take resources, but the game gives you these tools to make yourself really powerful for limited amounts of time or permanently, depending on the exact mechanic you're talking about. 
Uh, so if you want to make the game really difficult for yourself, you can choose not to do any of those things and like walk around half naked. No buffs from your food or your potions or anything like that. You can choose to use crappy weapons if you want to. Or you can choose to take advantage of all that, which makes the game pretty easy. Like I, I don't think Zelda games are usually all that difficult, except for maybe some of the older games. But I kind of liked the way that they handled it. I liked the way that they let the player kind of control the difficulty in that sense. Right. I agree, man. I think so. I think, yeah. <laughs> I agree, man. <laughs> I agree, man. All right. Uh, well, that was quite the gameplay section. Yeah. Granted, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead and give your score? Uh, I gave it a 94. Damn. I agree, man. I gave it a 95. Hell yeah. I had a feeling we would be similar in this regard. Mainly yeah. because we had the same opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling we'd think the same thing because we thought the same thing. I, I thought your score was going to be a little bit lower from your uh, from your criticisms, but I understood that you were kind of like looking for things to critique, right? Which I think is valuable. Like that's what we're here for, right? We're here to talk about ways that the game can be even better, right? Well, moving on to everyone's favorite section: aesthetics. Aesthetics. With the visuales, Pete Boy, why don't you, the graphic designer, kick us off with this section? Professional graphic designer. Um, I, I really like the art style of this game. It's something that's pretty new to the series as well. Uh, to me, it kind of seems like a fusion of the Skyward Sword style, which was pretty bright and colorful, but with some like fairly realistic proportions and things like that. Uh, with the Wind Waker style, which was very cartoony and cel-shaded and all that stuff. I think there's also kind of a Studio Ghibli influence on the art style as well. Everything's very colorful, uh, very detailed, but not too detailed. Like there's kind of a balance between simple and detail in this game. Right. Which I think works really well. It's also pretty smart from a hardware perspective. Oh, yeah. And this game, you know, you're rendering these, you're rendering stuff from across huge distances or attempting to render things across huge distances. And you got to help that process along however you can. So I think the way that they created this art style, not only to look good, but also to function very well for the most part was really smart and I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. I, I actually wrote down that um since the Switch doesn't really have the graphical capabilities of the PC or more powerful consoles, um, I think the developers did a really fantastic job of using what they could use and making beautiful landscapes and environments. And it, it's really to me, it's it's what you've always wanted a Zelda game to look like. Like it's just like, man, like you're in this big, vast open world. You're like, I want to go and do everything. It it just did a really good job with the with the visuals, in my opinion. Yeah, there are some performance hiccups, and apparently this was worse before they released a few patches. I started playing the game after these patches all came out, so I can't speak from experience. But there are some drops in the frame rate at times. Uh, Kokiri Forest, or not Kokiri Forest, uh, the, the Great Hyrule Forest, is the worst yeah. example of this. Like every time you warp there to go talk to Hetsu or whatever, like the game just uh, chugs along at like 20 FPS. And I'm like, oh, the too many, there's too much foliage here. Um, and then a few other places, sometimes like if there's a big explosion, sometimes the frame rate will drop briefly. And it's nothing that ruins the game for sure. But I always kind of feel bad when I have to travel to the forest <laughs> for whatever reason. Like, here we go. Time for a time for that good old fashioned 20 FPS. Let's go. Ocarina time, baby. Oh no. But otherwise I think that the game runs pretty well. Um I was talking to my friend Matt, aka Truekey, who was with us for the uh, Mega Man X episode back in season two, I think. And he apparently just started playing this game on the emulator on his epic gaming computer with the 60 FPS and like the upscale textures and all that stuff. And I'm I'm kind of envious of him because that would also probably be pretty awesome. One performance flaw that actually affects the game more than maybe the frame rate thing does is the sometimes there's noticeable pop in whenever the game doesn't render an enemy or an object until you get fairly close to it there have been times where like i'm running and then some animal appears like 10 feet ahead of me maybe not 10 feet but like 30 feet ahead of me so i can like very clearly see that it's kind of popped in and i'm like oh shit i was there okay um and sometimes that applies to enemies as well not too often uh, if that happened to enemies more often, that would definitely be more points against the game because like, an enemy just popping in front of you when it was supposed to be visible the whole time is obviously a pretty big deal. So it's just something I kind of wanted to mention for the sake of being thorough. Right. That's something that if the console were more powerful, which Nintendo, I wish you would do that for once, <laughs> then we wouldn't have the problem. But it's there, and I think it's worth mentioning, but not a huge deal by any means. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I like your comment, Nintendo. I wish you would do it for once. Yeah, just just one time, just one time. I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay you the money. I'll pay it. Yeah, exactly. We all will. Um, <laughs> um, but I think that's the only bummer that I would ever like. That's the only negative or the only complaint that I have um, in terms of uh, UI. I thought it was really cool. I agree. Very minimalistic and modern. I guess I don't know if minimalistic is the right term, but it felt really sleek. And sexy, so Ooh. I thought it was really cool. Ooh, I agree. And then uh, in terms of visual effects, I thought the game did a really good job by kind of like immersing you into this world of like. So when you're when it's raining, you know you got the lightning bolt that's going, and it just gets faster and faster and faster. And you're like, oh shit, I gotta change my weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, and then if you do get struck, it's just like this big massive lightning strike from terrible. the heavens. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> You're like oh god, and just every like visual effect that they did was just really good. Like, yeah, man, I, I just I was so impressed by the visual effects of this game, and the animations and the cutscenes are really cool. Um, unlike some games that we know, <coughs> Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, Damn, <laughs> yeah, they didn't slack on the graphics at all. In fact, I thought it was one of the things that this game did really well, and I, I remember. I guess a year or more ago when I was playing this game and I was just having a good old time and I texted you and I was like, dude, when we rate this on IG, the visuals is going to be a really solid score for me. So spoilers, <laughs> I think that's going to be true today. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Like really just the detail that they put into all the little things is really noticeable and awesome in this game. The animations, I think, are all fantastic, especially the enemies. I love all the various actions that the enemies do, like when you're approaching them from far away and they haven't noticed you, you can watch them like partying it up and cheering and eating and like they'll hunt enemies sometimes, which is also kind of a gameplay thing. But the enemies, I think oddly enough, are like where some of the most detail went into into making them feel lifelike, but also kind of like they're kind of cute in a way too. Yeah. There's like a bunch of cute little things that they do. And this also applies to like the NPCs and the other more important characters in the game, like just the animation and the personality of everyone is really apparent. And I love that. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the biggest takeaways from this game or one of the biggest successes of it visually is just like the constant sense of awe that I get from looking at all the landscapes. We often talk about this in games, maybe in this game, it applies a little less, but even still in this game, like they, they did a good job of implementing the different types of landscapes it's not like some platforming game where you have like the crazy future world and then the underground world and then the ice world. And then, you know, it's not quite that level, but you still have like these huge snow capped mountains and the volcano death mountain. And you have the Gerudo desert and even like some of the more quote unquote normal foresty or plains type areas in the game, they all still feel different from each other because they have different types of foliage and different types of rocks and things like that. So it feels really satisfying to me to explore this big area and be able to tell like when I'm in one province versus the other province and being able to like climb up to some high point and look at this beautiful province that I'm in and think like, Oh, this is a really nice view. That's also different than the view I get on the other side of the map. And just, I'm I'm constantly feeling awestruck from all this beauty. So I I think that's a huge success in this game. It just feels so pardon, pardon the word. It feels epic. <laughs> epic, epic gamer game. This is truly an epic gamer game for sure. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Yeah, you're like a lot of what you spend time doing is just kind of running around being kind of like looking at everything that's around you, which which speaks to a lot of the visuals of the game. It's just like absolutely stunning. It's just yeah, amazing. Anyway, I'm uh are you ready to give your score for visuals? Yeah, I'm ready to give my score. I gave the visuals a 95. 95. Wow. Um, I actually gave it a 99. Damn. I probably should have given it a 99 too. So moving on to the next section, the audio, I'll kick us off there. In terms of soundtracks, I, I wouldn't say that this has the best soundtrack out of all the Zelda games. Um, I was actually kind of, kind of disappointed that they made the soundtrack a little more subtle in this game. And I think they opted to go with more atmospheric sounds and things like that. I mean, you hardly ever notice the soundtrack in the game, in, in my opinion. I know, you know you're know you more critical in, in that regard, but 
when I'm playing the game just normally, I hardly ever notice it. And that was one of the first things I very I noticed about this game was just like how quiet it is. And I I get once again going for the realism, but what I kind of really enjoyed about Zelda in the past is is how awesome its soundtrack was and how like iconic and creative and just beautiful the soundtrack was. And that's not to say that, you know, it doesn't have any good tracks and that there aren't some, you know, bangers. Um, I, the main theme is definitely a banger. That's like my favorite one. Um, but you hardly ever hear that one too. And, um, there are some moments when you're like in the heat of battle where the soundtrack's pretty cool, but it's still, there's just a lot of subtle sounds in there that make it a very underwhelming soundtrack, I would say. I disagree with you on this one, I think. I really liked the direction that they went, where in the overworld, for the most part, things are quieter. You know, there's kind of like quiet pianos drifting in and out or other instruments, depending on what kind of biome you're in. Uh, but in the cities, that's kind of when they flex their music muscles the most. The cities and the the dungeons and the battles, like those are really the moments where the, the music is more prominent. I agree, maybe it's a little quiet at times in terms of volume level, like maybe in that sense, it's just literally a little too quiet. But I also come at this having the perspective of wearing headphones literally every single time I play this game because mm-hmm. I wanted to like really be able to hear everything. And with the headphones on, like I'm really able to notice the subtle music that plays when you're in the overworld or the way that music changes over time and all that stuff. I think we kind of have a difference of opinion there. I agree with you, though. Like I understand that past Zelda games, they really did go all out on like the epicness of the soundtrack. So I can definitely understand that. And I think that's a pretty common complaint that a lot of people have. So I, I don't like I don't find fault in it, but I do just feel differently. Right. And I think that the music that they do have is really awesome. Like I love the the Gerudo soundtrack, the Gerudo Town soundtrack. Uh, I think the battle theme in this game is one of the, or I, I think it is the best battle theme in any Zelda game, hands down. Uh, the way that there's like subtle different variations that play in different situations. And all this stuff is just really awesome sounding. Uh, the instrumentation, all that stuff. The the dungeons, the Divine Beasts, they have cool soundtracks as well with all these electronic elements to represent the Sheikah technology. The Hyrule Castle theme, I absolutely loved that. I thought that was a really great dramatic yeah, theme. Yeah, that's a banger. That is what an old school Zelda game would have done, right? Is like, like that level of epicness and bombasticness and that song is kind of like the encapsulation of the way that the older Zelda games treated music, right? <laughs> like, cause you're like constantly hearing the epic music as you're going through the level. But I, I really like the approach. I like the approach of limiting the more distinct music to more distinct areas of the game than having kind of the quieter music for the rest of the overworld. I think that works really well personally. Yeah, I can respect that. Um, I just, I miss it, man. I miss the, the, the epic soundtrack, like just in your, everyday occurrence. And I guess it's, it's a bigger game, bigger context than uh, Zelda has been in previously. So I think there's something to be said for that, but it's just, it's something that I wish was a little bit stronger. And I guess, I guess I'm not alone in that opinion, but um, one thing I do think that the game did really well is sound effects. And I think that yeah. was intentional. I think sound effects were meant to be more prevalent for it to be, you know, like, more immersive because we, as we know already, they went for the more immersion, realistic kind of thing. So, um, I think they did a really good job with that. Whether it be opening a chest, uh, opening your, the Sheikah slate, uh, cooking, uh, riding around, killing stuff on your horse, like every sound effect that you can think of is just done really well. And I, I really enjoyed the sounds of the game. And you know, me, I really like my sound effects. So that definitely boosted the score for me for sure. Yeah, and I think once again, like the enemies are a particularly successful part of this. Like, I love all the little sounds like that the Lazalfos make in particular. Like, they go like, and then they'll like they'll eat some fly or something. So you hear like a, it's like so funny. I just love it. Yeah, I agree with all of that. The sound effects are phenomenal in this game. Yeah, one thing that's a a pretty big thing that they did in this game is they made the move to uh, voice acting. And I wasn't sure initially how it was going to go. Um, I thought it had the potential to be really cheesy. And you know what? At times it was, but I think it works really well for this game. And now I kind of want it. Uh, I'm hoping from here on out, and I'm sure it will, it's going to be implemented in more Zelda games in the future. 
Yeah, I agree with that too. I thought that sometimes Zelda was laying it on a little thick, in English at least. Like, she'd be like, Link, Link, defeats Ganon. Please. It was like, Wake but, up, but then, Link. Link. But then there were times when, uh, during some of the, the memories, when she was just kind of talking to Link a little more normally, and I was like, oh, this is excellent right here. Like, it, it was, it's kind of a, a mixed bag in terms of Zelda specifically, like being too dramatic sometimes. But otherwise, I really liked the voice acting. They definitely helped to give all the protagonists their personalities and all that stuff. And uh, and even like the the grunts from all the other minor characters in the game, I thought were really enjoyable. Especially the great fairies. They pop up yeah. and they're like, "Ah, ah, yeah." You know what you're about? Yeah, I love the sound effects in this game. It's it's so stellar. And when you're talking about it, I'm just like, "Oh man, it's so good." Yeah, um, makes me want to go play it right now with my headphones on. And just I know. Listen Let's, all the, you know what? Just drop this podcast and just go play this game some more. Introducing Interstate Gamers Less Plays. It's not a bad idea. But yeah, um, I don't think I wrote anything other than what I've said. But I will say, you talked about Zelda a little bit, and I want to make sure I, I state this. I feel like Zelda was a was a badass in this game. At certain times, she you know she kind of got sad on us, but I mean, like I thought she was a pretty. Uh, Pretty strong personality, and she was. I really liked her character, and and that's through the voice acting that I was able to really get a sense of what her personality was like. I agree, man. You know, she's still the the princess that needs to be saved in this game, which is kind of seems like it's going to be her fate forever. Although maybe Batu Two will be a little different. Batu Two, mm-hmm. but but even so, like even though you still have to save her, like she does have kind of that strength that you see in the cutscenes and in the memories. And I agree it is her voice that helps convey that. So I was, I was really pleased with, with Zelda in this game. I feel like this game is really the game that made me a fan of Zelda the character. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Whereas, you know, in previous games, it, it, it she wasn't like, you know, I, I guess it's hard without voice acting, right? Like, it's like, it's hard for you to tell the personality exactly. I mean, you can do, you could do a lot through text, but this was just, a much more powerful way to really give the character personality. And I'm hoping, like I mentioned in the previous episode, that they do this with Pokemon because I think Pokemon would really benefit from this as well. Yeah. I, I don't have much more to say either. Um, honestly, I think for both of us, the audio section was a pretty big success. Right. Um, well, I'll go ahead and give my score. I gave it a 93. Nice, nice. I, I gave mine an unusual score. Of a 99. Damn. It kind of flip-flopped a little bit on this. Yeah. Uh, just a few little nitpicks I have, some of which I honestly didn't even mention here in the podcast because I thought they were a little too nitpicky, believe it or not. But yeah, I, I feel like the audio approach was spot on. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and, and in terms of my score, I, I think the soundtrack was just pretty much the only disappointing part. Yeah. Um, so not really, not a bad score either. 93 is really good. So yes, moving on to content, the final section of the season finale. So this is it, P-Boy. Damn. Got to give it our best. <sighs> I'll do my best. Plus ultra. <laughs> Plus ultra. All right. What you got for me, P-Boy? So obviously the first thing I got to mention is my, my best friend, howlongtobe.com. A pretty big range of hours for this game, as you might imagine, from the scope of it and the different ways you can choose to play it. Uh, Looks like kind of an average of 50 hours if you're just doing the main story, and then an average of 180 hours if you're trying to complete everything. Now, I've put in about 140 hours, and I've you know got all the divine beasts, got all the memories. I have most of the shrines or most of the shrine quests and most of the side quests done. Um, there's still a lot of Korok seeds out in the world for me to find, obviously, because there's like, what, 900 something? 900, yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. But apparently, after all that, I'm only at like 40% completion. So I'm like, damn, you know, I still got a lot of armor that needs to be upgraded. I still got some other stuff that needs to be done. In that sense, there is a lot of content in this game, like sheer, sheer numbers. There's a lot of content. Right. But I think overall, the game's type of content could be not for everyone, it could be a little polarizing. Because a lot of the game is, well, if you choose to make it so, a lot of the game is exploring, which I find really fulfilling. I love using the gameplay to go around and explore and admire the visuals and the audio and everything else. And I, I, I love doing all that, even if I don't necessarily get some like reward for going to this part of the map or this part of the map or this part of the map. Um, it would be nice. There have been a few times where I've 
journey to some place that I thought for sure would have some like something waiting for me and there wasn't anything there, which was a little disappointing, but I feel like more often than not, the game tries to reward you in some small way, often a Korok, <laughs> for going out and exploring something. For me, that's the type of content that I really like. Um, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's what they were going for in this game, and I think it worked. So I'm kind of curious what you think about that ex- that specific part of the content. Yeah, I guess when the game first came out, um, you know, a lot of people were really like, "Oh, this is basically Zelda plus Skyrim," and they're and they even mentioned, "Hey, we're taking." notes from these bigger open world RPG games so that we, you know, we make sure that we get this one right. And so everybody's like, oh man, Zelda plus Skyrim or Fallout and things like that. Basically, Bethesda has become this like staple, like of like this standard of, okay, this is what an open world, or actually it's more like the high bar, I would say, of what an open world game should be. Mm-hmm. Um, now that might, that statement might come with some debate, but I, I think in general, in terms of like, Content, you would you would say that. With that stigma in mind, I feel like Breath of the Wild falls a little bit short of that. I say this because there is a lot of content, but I feel like it's a lot of repetitive content. Yeah. So the shrines are definitely, I mean, they vary, but not by much. And there's the same kind of games over and over and over again, and they're not really that exciting, to be frank, really. Um, and then. The Korok seeds, oh my gosh, it's just, it's kind of annoying. Like there's 900 of them and they're really not that special. And I think at a certain point, it doesn't really even matter because uh, I think there's some cap to what you can do with your, with your, how much space you can hold and, and how much stamina you can have. I think I've already maxed out my stamina. So, yeah. Um, but really, really, it's just kind of like, what's the point? And I know once you get all the shrines, you get like the, Green tunic, which I'm working towards. I think I'm at 101 shrines, so um, getting close there. Yeah, but to me, a lot of the content is just—it's not. There's not a lot of variety, and um, it's kind of. And even in terms of exploration, like for example, every person that I—I I, I think every person that I am close to that has played this game, they don't play this game. They don't really binge this game. They. They play this game for a couple of hours, and to me, it seems like they get bored because it takes them years to spend at least over a hundred hours on this game. Like, for example, Chris got this game when it came out, and I know he spent well over two hundred hours on it, but he still hasn't beaten the game. Then that might go to you know what he's trying to do within the game. But it's like if the game was really that good, like we've been playing Smash or things of that nature, like why why aren't people Binging this more, you should be able to reach hours like like within. When did this game come out? March of twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. It's been three years. It's been three years since he's he's had the game. So it's kind of like you know, and, and he's not the only person. Ryan, who uh, got the game a couple of years ago as well, uh, he I don't think he's beaten the game yet either. And he got the game, like I said, a couple of years ago. And then you got the game about over a year ago, and it took you up until like this past month. Like so, it's like it's like a game that you play sporadically, and I and I think you have to ask the question why, right? And I don't think I'm conveying this as best as I can, but it just seems like it's not a very bingeable game because the content that's in the world feels strangely empty, even though there's a lot in it. And I know that's like a very that's a very contradictory statement, but it's like there's a lot of stuff in there, but there's not a lot to do with that stuff. I see what you're saying, and I I agree for the most part. Like I, I think the shrines are the worst example of this, probably because like the shrine trials, they are you know they will differ in terms of what you actually have to do in each shrine, except for the the fact that there's a lot of repeating like mini boss battle shrines. But besides those ones, even though there are differences, they still feel repetitive. And like the base exploration part of the gameplay is pretty repetitive, where like you're just kind of right. going around the world and looking at whatever nooks and crannies you feel like looking at. And if there's something cool there, then cool. And if there's not, then there's not. When I say it's not for everyone, I mean that like not everyone will have the patience to devote a lot of time to doing those things. And I think that kind of gets to what you're saying, where like almost everyone you know personally has been playing the game on and off for various reasons. I feel like my situation was a little different because there were like it wasn't really the game's fault that I was spreading out my playtime so long. It was more just like life circumstances. And now that I've been sitting down and playing the game a lot, 
many times a week for many hours each time for a couple months now, I kind of feel like I am binging the game in a way that I still really enjoy it. So maybe I'm like, maybe I'm the outlier in your example or something like that, which, which isn't a big deal. I'm just kind of giving my own perspective. Right. And I think there's certain points in the game too that become more interesting than than others, right? Like when you get on a really good streak of like actually doing things, um, that's when the game becomes really good and really bingeable. But I think there's a good, a good portion of the game that's like there's, it's very stagnant and like you get to a point where you're not really doing anything major and you're just kind of in between states. And this is definitely a post game content thing where you've done all of the like major things to do. It's kind of like there's not really anything meaningful to do. That's left. Um, even the side quests are pretty unfulfilling because they don't really give you anything crazy. And with the fact that your weapons break and everything like that, even if they gave you a weapon, who cares, right? It's going to break. So it's just like, all right. Yeah. I mean, to be fair though, and my personal my personal experience with the game is that I was pretty thorough in exploring, and I would take a lot of time between the four major dungeons to do a bunch of other stuff between those times. So it took me like a good 140 hours to explore the game to the extent that I wanted and do like a majority of the shrine quests and the side quests and obviously the main quests and beat the game. So for me, like the fact that I was able to get 140 hours of enjoyment out of that is still like really satisfying. So I'm not expecting the game to last me forever. Like there are people out there who I think I've spent over like 1,000 hours playing this game. And maybe that's across multiple save files. I kind of imagine it is, because I don't think there's quite enough content for that much time. I don't know, man. I, I think we're kind of starting to talk in circles here. I, I think we kind of understand where the other is coming from. Where Yeah, I don't mean to say it's it's bad per se. I just think that it's overrated. You know, the content is good, and there's a really good amount of content, and you definitely get a good amount of content for what you pay for. I'm not saying that this would ever get a bad rating from me. I'm just saying that um, people herald it as like this, the best open world game ever. And I don't think I could ever agree with that because there is a lot of, like I've already said, there's a little bit of lack of content that's not repetitive there. So, anyway, yeah, you're right. We've, we've harped on this for a little bit. Yeah, let's. Uh, I want to talk about the story. Yeah, and how they deliver the story. I love the story. So the the basic gist of it is that ten thousand years ago, the Sheikah existed, and they had all this crazy technology, which has been preserved and is very important in the current day. A hundred years ago, <laughs> fast forwarding to a hundred years ago, Calamity Ganon came back, and in order to fight him, Zelda gathered these champions from the different races of Hyrule, and they piloted these ancient Sheikah divine beasts. But unfortunately, Ganon took over the control of the divine beasts and most of the other Sheikah technology. And then Link was defeated. He wasn't killed, but he was defeated. And they basically put him in like cryostasis in the Sheikah Shrine of Resurrection, which is where you start the game. Uh, Zelda was captured and Zelda has been like the hostage of Ganon for the past hundred years or so. And so Link's job is to go and like free all the divine beasts from Ganon's clutches and use them and the spirits of the champions who did actually die to attack Hyrule Castle at the same time that Link does whenever Link finally decides to go up there, you know, 100 plus hours later, (laughs) save the world and do all that stuff. The interesting thing about the story is how it's presented in terms of Link's memories, right? Because Link has to make the effort to go remember all these things from 100 years ago. And the way that you do that, for the most part, is going around the world and encountering locations that are spread out pretty far across the world and uh, just reliving certain moments from them. Or you go to the main civilizations, and they have people there who have some connection to the champions of old, and they'll help you remember things about those specific champions. So it's pretty interesting. Like Because the game is open world in nature, you can kind of experience these things in whatever order you want, which I think is neat, but at the same time, it prevents the story from maybe being as like strong as it could be if you were kind of experiencing it all in a row and like feeling more consistently engaged with it. Well, I think I think that adds to the exploration too, and I think that really gave a little bit more life to the world that you were in because I think without the memories, that just to me that would go back to my other point and make the world more empty. So it's like I could go to these places, and I really liked that you could look at the map and kind of try to figure out on your own where this would be. I mean, you can obviously look it up, but 
I, I took it upon as some kind of challenge to look at the map and see where they're telling me to go and kind of figure out where that memory might be. Yeah, I do that too. But uh, I, I found it to be pretty rewarding. And I know, yeah, it's kind of like out of sync. So it's kind of like you have to piece it together yourself. And especially if you're playing this game over a period of years, you're not going to remember <laughs> what that first one was. And when you get like the second to last one, you're like, okay, I'm kind of lost here. So I could see that. I could see that. I think it depends upon when and how often you get the memories. Yeah, which of course is going to vary from person to person right? to, to a pretty big extent. I think what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that Breath of the Wild 2, <laughs> we have so many hopes for the sequel, which I think are all <laughs> justified, but, but I'm hoping that it can deliver some sort of story that is as impactful or even half as impactful as the story of Majora's Mask. I feel like that game kind of set the highest bar to this date for a Zelda game telling a story. And I think a lot of that is due to that game's unique setting, like you going back in time every three days or however long it is. That obviously allows for some interesting story type things to happen that in a game like Breath of the Wild or the sequel, probably couldn't do that exact same thing, right? But one of the reasons why that game had such a strong story was all the different side characters and how involved in their lives you got. And in this game, there's not really the equivalent of that. The The closest thing really is you like learning about the champions of the past, but they're all dead and they can't really interact with you unless you're in the dungeon and they're kind of giving you guidance. But once that's done, it's kind of it. There are some characters, like there's one particular side quest in this game where you are getting to know characters closely, more closely than you otherwise would. But I kind of wish that was the norm. And I understand why they didn't do it in this game, or I understand that maybe it wasn't a priority, but I think moving forward, I'd love to see a game like that again. I kind of felt like they were on the journey with you, even though that they were dead. It's kind of like uh, you go and you free their spirit, and they're like, "All right, we're in this fight with you once again, and me and this divine beast are going to take on, help you take on Cannon." And it's like, "Yeah, hell yeah, you're on my side, and I helped you, and we were homies back in the day. I'm sorry you're dead now. That kind of sucks, but let's go take on this divine beast." It kind of felt like they were with you the whole time, and they were like cheering you on. So I kind of liked that, and you get those memories. Uh, spoilers. You get those memories with them that are kind of nice and touching. I won't say any more than that. Yeah. But, uh, it, it involves them as a whole and your crew. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I felt, I really liked the, uh, champions. I like the champions too. I just kind of wish we could have seen more of them. Yeah. It'd be cool if they weren't dead somehow. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or if maybe they were present with you in more substantial ways throughout the journey rather than just kind of like, because basically they're either just waiting at the Divine Beast for you to be ready to fight Ganon, or they'll like chime in whenever you use their special technique. But I don't know, it'd be kind of cool if they were more constant companions somehow. True. I, I do, you, you have a point. So it's like, it kind of feels like you're in on this journey alone in a sense that you are doing all of this yourself and Zelda's trapped and you have no companion and all the champions are dead, but you know they're doing their own part, but at the same time, you're basically going through this journey in isolation. You're like, okay, I got to go here and do these things all by myself. Yeah, in this big open world, and everyone's waiting for you. Is the thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're, they're all they're all explicitly waiting for you and telling you to hurry up. It's like, hey, no, just hang the hell on. I got to go over here real quick. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go find this Koroxy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to the point to where the characters are rushing you, but. I, I think we've kind of established this point. Right. I will say that one thing that was really refreshing was how the Zora people, the, the elderly Zora people, really hated Link at first because from their point of view, Link had taken their crown princess or whomever, Mifa, to go fight in this battle and then Mifa died. And so these the Zora who are old enough to remember that, they they hate you when you arrive there. Which for me was a really nice change of pace because there's so many people across Hyrule who are just horny for Link. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Like there's, how, there's yeah, oh spoiler alert. But like <laughs> how many how many random women do you find who are like, oh you're you're really handsome. I, I hope you don't leave. And and of course Pia is an example of that too, how love struck she is and all that stuff. And she's a fun character. But the point is like so many characters just love Link right away. And then the Zoras, the older Zoras, they don't. And I was like, oh shit, this is cool. It feels kind of realistic that way actually. So that was one kind of like random story thing that I enjoyed. 
Also, I really liked the dialogue in this game, like both the cutscene dialogue and the text dialogue with random NPCs. Like, I feel like the game has a really subtle sense of humor. There were a few times where a character said something kind of silly that I just actually chuckled at, which is pretty rare for me playing a video game. But it was, it was a fun game, though. Like, the characters generally were lighthearted and they said things that were kind of funny, and it felt good. It felt more like a real world that way. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you missed an opportunity to say, from my point of view, Link is evil. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Damn. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with all of that. And it is kind of refreshing for them to be like, man, Link's a bitch. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, really everything about the lore and the story, I'm, I'm on board with. It was definitely really well written and it was it, it appeals to the younger audience at the same time appealing to us as as best as it can so yeah. i appreciate the pretty good attempt to bridge the gap there yeah my last comments on this is actually pretty related to that dialogue thing that i just said there are a few characters i've come across who when you talk to them they'll like ask you some question and you can answer one way or the other way so let's say for example they ask you like have you seen my son during your travels yes or no and if you say yes, they'll be like, oh, great. Like, I'm, I'm glad you got to see him. And then let's say you talk to that same character immediately after and you say no just to see what they say, what their no response is. And so you'll say no, but then they'll be like, didn't he just say yes a few seconds ago? <laughs> well, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then they give you the no answer. And it's really like, I thought it's hilarious how they kind of make fun of that video game trope of people saying the same thing or like not remembering what you just told them. Right. They kind of, you know, fake you out. And I mean, not every character does this. There's like, three or four that I've run into, but that's been one of my favorite small things in the game so far out of any category. Just this like a silly little thing. I thought yeah. it was great. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Well, I don't think I have any more. What about you? I'm all spent. Okay, cool. Well, before I give my score, I just want to say, I feel like basically the content of Breath of the Wild can be summed up like this. Main story, shrines, memories, and Koroks. Yeah. And... I guess exploration. If you want to throw that in there, yeah, it's a you know it's a game that's unlike any other game that I've played really from a content perspective. So uh, it's been interesting to rate and think about for sure. All right. Well, with that said, what what score do you give it? I gave it a hot, fresh nine T. Nine T. Wow. We we're pretty in sync on this. I gave it an eighty eight. Nice. How dare you give it below a nine? <laughs> <laughs> oh my category. god, Breath of the Wild. Not an A score on the category. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I, I'm sorry, but I had to do it to him because I felt like this game could have been a lot better in terms of content. There's definitely it does feel like they they skimped out on it a little bit. Not to say that it's bad, because an 88's good. Let's all remember that. And the exploration's great and all, and the story's great and all, but the shrines and the Koroks, uh, super repetitive, and you know my whole spiel, so yeah. fight me. <laughs> I, I think our ratings are very justified. I think that the people will yeah. appreciate that we have these critiques, and I think the people will appreciate a few-second break while we do the number crunching. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. We're going to recap our scores. I'll start as usual. I gave gameplay a 95, visuals also a 95, audio a 99, which means my overall aesthetics score was a 97, and content I gave a 90. So all that being said, my overall score for Batwa is a 94.0. Damn. Well, let's see what I gave it. Um, I gave it gameplay a 94 um, in my aesthetics, visuals a 99. Um, audio was a 93, bringing my aesthetics score to a 96. Um, and then my content was an 88, which my overall score is a 92.7. Thus bringing the IG score, drum roll please, <laughs> 93.3, which makes it third out of 42. And I don't think it's going to, I mean, that's a pretty good score. Yeah. Um, it's so Majora's Mask is first, uh, Super Mario Odyssey is second, and Breath of the Wild is third, and Link to the Past is fourth. So Majora's Mask is ninety four point four, uh, Mario Odyssey is ninety three point eight, and then Breath of the Wild is ninety three point three. That's how close the margin is here. Yeah, these are all top of the line games. You can't argue that. Yeah. Well, I guess you could argue that if you had your own podcast, but 
This is the Interstate Gamers <laughs> podcast, so deal with it. Yeah, so I think I think it's pretty fair. I know Super Mario Odyssey. You know, I think we'd both rather play Breath of the Wild, but I think we also agree that Super Mario Odyssey was just such a solid game on all fronts. Yeah, that I think is pretty deserving of that score. Yeah, I'm really happy with the way that our top three, top four has shaken out. Uh, end of season four, man. Damn, we got a lot of games under our belt, and uh, what a way to end it, Breath of the Wild. I know, right. This has been this gaming experience. I'm not even done yet. I got DLC to play. I got a few more things to do before DLC. This has been a gaming experience unlike anything that I've played. And that's that's largely due to me not having played many open world games, but right. for really like the first open world game or one of the first that I've spent a lot of time into, it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, open world games are fun, man. I love them. Um I've played so many of them, which is perhaps why I'm so critical of Breath of the Wild. But that's not to say that I think it's a bad game by any means. Plus, it's open world Zelda. I mean, who wouldn't love that? So I think they did a really good job with the game. And uh, I still have a couple of things to do as well. I, you know, I've played the DLC and I've beaten it. So pretty much just collection stuff at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of hard to force myself to do. But anyway, well, thank you all for listening to. Season four, really. Um, I know it's been quite a journey with us, and we appreciate you all being on this journey with us. This has been a blast to really do this podcast and be able to have the ability to have this platform. Um, I know we're not super popular or anything, but it means a lot that you guys are listening and following along with us, for those that do. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't listen, we hate you. <laughs> for everyone who does listen, we love you. Exactly. I, I agree, man. And uh and also, I mean, we have to mention that this has been by far the most eventful season of IG as far as world events go. <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely want to say, like, I hope that everyone is staying safe from COVID-19. I hope that everyone is also staying safe if they're participating in protests or anything like that. Um, I hope that people are standing up for what they believe in if they feel the desire and the need to do so. Hopefully you do. It has been a really interesting time to do the podcast and... I don't know. I mean, I just feel like you always have to talk about the current events. Maybe never a better time to do the podcast. I don't know. Interesting times. But yeah, once again, thank you all for being here on the journey with us. We have a lot of fun stuff planned for season five. So uh, whenever we decide to finish our traditional in-between season hiatus, we will definitely be coming at you with some hot, fresh games. In the meantime, you can follow our social media. We got a Twitter, which is the IG underscore cast. You can also go to our website, which Kevin lovingly coded and has some improvements that will be coming soon, actually. Mm-hmm. So you can check that out at theigcast.com. You can see all of our ratings there. That's definitely the coolest part of the site is just looking at all these numbers. We love numbers. We hope that you do, too. So go look at some numbers, theigcast.com slash ratings, I believe. Right. Got Facebook as well. Got Instagram. Kev, who are our patrons? Well, we've got our loving boys, Mr. Ryan Everett and Z-Link. Thank you both so much for supporting us. You've been longtime supporters, and we definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, Could not say it enough. As always. (laughs) As always. Well, I guess I guess that's it. That's season four, man. We're on to our fifth season. Season five confirmed. Um, <laughs> yes, confirmed. So spoilers there. I can't believe it, man. Really, I I know we're we've gone over, but I don't care. You know, I'm going to reminisce and and bask in all of what we've done. Yeah. If if any if any episode deserves to go over, it's this one for many reasons. Right here, it's this one. My insane episode. All right, everyone. We'll catch you later. Love you too. Love you too, guys. Bye.